Now again, again, think about this, you're in at a dime, so you're talking like 80 times your money. But then when it hit $15, right? Hit. Everyone's bitching at me. You're going, what'd you get me out for? I'm like, I don't have a crystal ball, right? All right. Welcome to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions, the place to learn how to fund, scale, exit, and massively profit as an angel investor or entrepreneur. Brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. All right. Well, I'm here today with our Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions podcast with Greg Ryder, the actual original founder of Angel Investors Network, who I took the company over from several years back. And now he is the entrepreneur. So, Greg, welcome to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions. Yeah, thanks. The transition, right? It is. It is. It's, it is quite the transition, right? And we are actually here at our Sharks and Angels live event and venue. So we got a chance to do some of these in person. So I'm really excited. Greg just got off the stage giving his presentation. Um, you know, so, Greg, you've been around startups. And you've been on, you started your career on the other side. You weren't the entrepreneur, right? No, I started my career as an investor. And then I ended up getting my securities license. And then I actually bought the firm I worked for and spent the first 15 years of my life raising money for companies, taking companies public, doing M&A, merging acquisitions. So as a licensed investment banker. So been around a long time and seen a lot. And it just, um, I love entrepreneurs. I love InnoVision or, you know, innovative type stuff. I love that, like, God, we just heard a second ago. Yeah. What the heck? Pretty crazy, right? Dude, <laughs> it's like, I'm creating a unicorn. That guy's creating a... Is there, is there a, a Pegasus, word for like a Pegasus. Yeah, Pegasus, something like that. Oh my yeah. gosh. He's got something. If he's got what he says he has, that's amazing. It is, isn't it? Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about what we do is that we get to see so many cool, innovative ideas and technology. And, you know, sometimes we're on, in our own little bubble, right? We're just hanging out and we see the world the way it is. But then you find out that other people view the world completely different, have completely different ideas. And I'm always blown away. I, I'm imagining you feel the same way when it comes to technology. Absolutely. You no, know, and you go, you think about, uh, what will you expose yourselves to, to by doing these events and by you getting out there and pitching at these events or an investor coming to these events, it just really makes the world go around, right? Yeah. It's such part of the integral part of the growth in the world and being a part of it. And it makes life exciting, it does. right? You know, you're not sitting at home and, and not experiencing and being exposed to the future. And that's, you know, I remember when, this is like a good story, um, guy comes to my office. It's like, we're raising money, $600,000. What do you got? And I'm like, He's like, we're going to sell stuff on the television, 724, 365. <laughs> now, this is in the early 1980s, like 1982. Right. No one was selling anything on the television. I won't tell you where I was at that point. Yeah, no one was, <laughs> no one was giving credit cards over the phone. And it was Home Shopping Network. Mm -hmm. And we believed in him, raised him some money. And look at what's happened over the next five or six you know, decades of Home Shopping Network, and the trillions of dollars that they've yeah. facilitated because somebody believed in that. So, you know, you think about that and going... Now, who, 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 you know, who believes in that back in 1982 when there's only three TV channels and cables just coming out? Somebody has to, and so there's always somebody that can believe in the entrepreneurs. Well, and at that time, too, if I remember correctly, because, you know, we've both been partnered with Kevin Harrington, and he's pegged as the founder of the infomercial, right, the inventor of the infomercial. And the whole idea back then was that not only was there only, like, three channels and very few commercials, but it also, the TV turned off. Like, radio, or TV stations didn't broadcast all night long at that point, right? And I think that's really funny for a lot of people that are probably watching this or listening to this. Um, 
who didn't have that experience growing up where they always had a remote control for their TV or they always had the TV in their the palm of their hand or their phone, right? It's just a completely different world. But if we think about where we are today with being able to buy things from your phone, and we'll talk about how you help enable that too, that couldn't have been possible without that very first step to be able to buy something through a television. Right. Right? Now you think about the, the, the growth of that stuff, and it's all about investors believing in entrepreneurs, and it's about that matchmaking put together, which is why... You know, the original vision for Angel Investors Network was to democratize capital raising, right. you know, having you leverage the Internet to communicate and to yeah. put people together. But I like what you said this morning. There's nothing better than belly to belly, handshake to handshake, meeting people yeah. and being able to break bread together. Right. Yeah, it's really hard. Right. I mean, even if you're you're giving an hour long presentation on a webinar, for example, and you're doing the hour long presentation, you know, there's something that's lost between that and that technology transfer. And I think that's the, the human connection, right? Like people actually need to connect with, with individuals, especially to make a bet on an entrepreneur. You know, like you said, the guy came into your office saying what he was raising money for and probably sounded crazy to most people. Definitely would have sounded like a crackpot if he called you up on the phone, right? Like you're like, what are you talking about? You can't do that. So, but, but when you can see the authenticity in someone's vision by meeting them, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. No, and you, you think about, the returns of the people that invested in early stage home shopping network, early stage Shopify, early stage Google, which, you know, I heard the other day, I, I, I saw a clip from Shaq. I didn't know this, but Shaq, I, you know, cause I always tell people, did you get invested? Did you get invited to invest in Google? I didn't get the right. call. I never I'm got not the call. that good old boy network. Guess who got the call? Shaq. Yeah. Shaq made an investment in Google, right? Um, but I like this one story, right? Cause you, you always talk about the wins. There's always the, the devastations, but this guy comes to my office, He's got this cardboard, literally a cardboard box with two VCRs where the hood had been taken off the VCRs and he'd soldered them or done something together. He goes, I've invented the world's first dual deck VCR. <laughs> you put a blank VCR in here and you put a movie over here and you click play and it transfers the movie over here. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing. So we raised him like a million bucks, right? <laughs> um, and we took him public. This was back in the days we were taking you know, penny stock companies public. And we took him public and the stock went from 10 cents to 50 cents. And then he got sued by Sanyo, Mitsubishi, all the big manufacturers sued him because, hey, you can now take a movie and steal that movie and copy it. Pirating, right? Pirating, right? And do that kind of stuff. And so the stock went from 50 cents down to like one cent. Oh, man. (laughs) Then that went through the process. And then a year, 18 months later, they ended up winning the lawsuit in Mm -hmm. court. That stock went to $22 a share. Oh, man. <laughs> That's a good day to have been the investor that stuck with them. Exactly. But here you go again. Think about me, right? So we had everyone in at 10 cents, some people at 20, some people at 30, some people at 50, and then it backed off. And then we thought it gets done. We didn't really buy any stock at a penny and then, you know, just kind of quit trading and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so then the stock starts to run, right? So then I'm calling on my customers and say, it's like $3. So I like, sell some at $3. Okay, hit six, sell some at six. I was completely long gone by $8. Oh, it was wow. like sold everybody out $8. <laughs> now, again, again, think about this. They're in at a dime. So you're talking like 80 times your money. Still not a bad return. But then when it hit $15, right? Everybody's a little bit Everyone's upset. Everyone's bitching or... at me. You're going, what'd you get me out for? I'm like, I don't have a crystal ball, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, and, and the thing is, <laughs> we are greedy as humans, right? Like, whenever we lose, we get really, really upset. Say, man, I wish I would have never done that. But then when we win, we're really excited about it. But if we don't win enough, we're like, man, I still feel like I lost. And it's, a, it's, it's silly because they still made a lot of money. 
and they took a big risk doing it, but they still made their money in the long run. So you have, you know, transitioned from the investment banker to the angel investor to coaching entrepreneurs to now you found a problem in the marketplace and you just said, okay, we need the shift. We need to go solve this problem. So you literally went from, you went the opposite route. Most entrepreneurs go through this process of raising money, exiting a business, eventually becoming an angel investor. You start out as the investor with the investment banker taking companies public and now you're going the entrepreneur, right? So you kind of have a, an opposite story for a lot of people. So tell us, you know, why would you even make that transition? You know, and I think it's the allure of having invested in a couple companies that went on to be unicorns, um, seeing other companies that I didn't invest in that became unicorns. I mean, there's nothing like going at that FOMO of going, damn, they made 2,700 yeah. times on their money, right? You know, a hundred grand turned into, you know, $2 billion type thing. Um, and so I think there's the allure of that because I've just seen too much of it. And then when you see a lot of it, you have that, that belief that, oh, I can do that. Like, why can't I do that? I knew that guy when he was home shopping network, walking him office, looking for 600 grand. Right. Right. So I think part of that. And the other thing, too, is just being passionate about empowering entrepreneurs and, and solving problems. And, and again, I, I kind of wear my Christianity on my sleeve, but I wake up with these ideas. And I'm like, wow, that's a good idea. And like that one guy we were just listening to, what he's doing is going to change the world if he's got what he says he has. Mm -hmm. And you have to be like a really smart, wicked smart person to understand it, to double check what he has. It's like, you know, for me, I just got this very logical e-commerce <laughs> incorporated with banking. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Incorporated with drop shipping. Let's just take what's already working out there. Let's tie some things together, make it more efficient. So every single person go, oh, wow, that's a cool idea. Right. But yet we pull it off. We're the first to market. We have the first to market share. We have the upside potential of a hundred billion. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So, so it's, it's the, I mean, not to, not to use greed as the word, but really it is seeing a massive opportunity, but you, saw, you only saw the opportunity because of something we'd gone through together, right? So tell that story because I love, people love hearing that story of woe, but we've turned that into a potential win here. Well, if you remember, we, we, we said, okay, we're going to start our own e-commerce platform to compete with Shopify. And at that time, Shopify was a $10 billion company. We're like, Shopify sucks. Like, okay, really, seriously. It's like, or and hacking now, code essentially. And now here in, 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 in where we're at today, they're like this woke Canadian company that's canceling tens of thousands of entrepreneurs so they don't like what they're selling. But, okay, we want to create our own platform. It's like, hey, well, let's do this. Let's just check out this drop shipping world mm -hmm. and drop ship from China. And what's interesting about that is the Chinese government was subsidizing postage. So you could ship something from, you know, where the COVID was originated, yeah. <laughs> right, to San Diego, California, cheaper than you could send me something from Seattle. That was something that, that blew my mind when we found that out. I, it took we were literally trying to ship things that were getting returned to me back to you. And it cost me more to ship it to you than it did for us to ship it from China to you. Yeah. That's because the government was subsidizing the postage, mind. right? And, and again, how smart is that? The Chinese government's going, I will subsidize the postage and just billions of dollars are being sent from U.S. to there to buy their products, right? Um, and so then we use and leverage our, your automations and your systems and your, your expertise. And then the digital marketing side of things, we did a million dollars our first month. Yeah. Like a million and a half, and then two million. And, and, and I say that on my presentation, we sold 400,000 people a product in about nine months. Yeah. And just think about that. Just like, just like, just sit on that for a minute. Yeah. Let's say you're in the world's biggest mall, which we visited together in yeah, Dubai, did, yeah. right? 
how many years would you have to be in the world's biggest mall to collect 400,000 credit cards? Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was a like lot of 10, people. 10, 20 right? years? Yeah. Right? It just, you know, you're not going to sell 400,000 people. So that concept that the world is your mall uh, is an amazing, amazing situation. So when you really understand digital marketing efficiencies, but it was just fraught with problems, fraught with pain points that you and I experienced. So let's solve those pain points. And then we got something. Absolutely. And it's such a, it's a simple concept, but I think that most people struggle with that because they've never gone through that, right? Like when a company says, okay, I'm going to sell online. Most of the time it's the entrepreneur that says, I love this idea of internet marketing. I love the digital nomad. We actually called our, our business that for a while. They love the idea of having the laptop lifestyle, right? So there's a lot of entrepreneurs that will just start with that. And so they learn from all the other gurus, the people that you and I know, and, and they learn that stuff. But real businesses that struggle with actual supply chain issues and value chain and logistics and third-party logistics, it's not an easy thing for them to solve. And so the really big businesses get it, but the average Joe who's like, oh, I don't know anything about online selling. I just place an order on Amazon and it shows up. They don't understand the intricacies behind it, do they? No, you think about that. You think about even from 2019 to now, but there's still thousands of companies that still haven't figured it out. Mm -hmm. They still haven't figured out that supply chain out. It's getting way, way better. And because of Amazon, you know, and their overnight shipping and their same day shipping, the 3PL side of the supply chain, everything's getting more and more efficient. Now it's just a matter of integration yep. and, and integration and tying in everything. So it all comes to one dashboard or it all comes to one pipeline. Right. So the individual COOs and the, the operations managers and the, the CFOs, they have that visibility uh, on a platform. And right now, you, know, you have to log into multiple platforms to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And here's the other thing about that is that in the United States, I was watching your presentation, which by the way, we haven't even mentioned the name of the company is LaunchCart, but you were, I'm watching the presentation on LaunchCart and you have a slide up there and somebody asked the question about, okay, well, how big is this market really? Right. And you showed 37.7 million sellers between all the, the, the major e-commerce platforms right now, Amazon and Etsy and eBay and WooCommerce and BigCommerce, right? Now, to put that in perspective, that's worldwide. Now, of course, there are other smaller marketplaces and platforms around the world, but those are the biggest ones. And 37.7, there's 28.8, .8, million small businesses in the United States alone. So if we were to take that into, concept, into, into context, that means there's probably tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of businesses around the world that are not currently selling on any platforms online, right? And so I think that's really hard for a lot of people to understand, but you and I were in Dubai and we we're talking about entry into Africa, right? And all these emerging markets. And we were learning things that the African economy, the entire continent of Africa has the largest population of people under the age of 20. And as they come online, they're going to leapfrog technology because they don't have to deal with all of a sudden putting in DSL lines or, you know, dial up modems. They don't have to deal like that like we did in the US. They're going to go straight to 5G. They don't even need broadband. They can go straight to that, which means all these people who are coming of age in the next 10, 20 years, they're going to have access to technology that you and I couldn't have even imagined when we were growing up. And they're going to be the biggest buying segment of consumers on the planet. Now, they told us there was 1.7 billion people under the age of 17. It's crazy, isn't it? Wow. And you think, okay, America's how big? Uh, 330 million? Yeah. And so it's like, 1.7 billion under the age of 17? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. And they have access to, like, I, I love technology and sometimes I hate it, right? Because my kids, you know, 10, 11 years old right now, they have access to YouTube. They have access to stuff that they probably shouldn't have access to, right? 
And you can't monitor them 24-7. The kids are going to be kids and they'll find a way around all that. But you think about that. These kids now can start buying stuff online. They can, you know, if they're, even their parents will put stuff onto an Xbox, they can buy something on their Xbox, right? But you think about that. These people, that the 1.7 billion population there, let alone the rest of the world, they're going to have these dreams of running a business as well and going online. Well, guess what? In a small little village in Africa, even if it's a, you know, a lot of the countries in Africa are very well developed, but there's still a lot of areas where they don't have access to the rest of the world yet. And so that's one of the problems you're solving too, right? Right. Absolutely. You know, this global, global thing. But I want to kind of add on to what you were talking about. So think about this for a second. When you think of all the billion dollar companies, the, the unicorns out there and their customer base, you think of Facebook and Instagram and how many hundreds of millions of users they have, LinkedIn and sales, you know, right? Yeah. And then big commerce. Remember big commerce? Mm-hmm. Big, big C came public. They came public with 60,000 customers, 60,000. Now, their average customer was $2,000 a year, so the income was kind of decent, but they came public, and within a few months of them going public, they were $5.2 billion market cap. Yeah, that's huge. And you think, there's not very many verticals or markets where with less than 100,000 customers, you can become a unicorn. Absolutely. Right? So that's one of the other reasons why it's like, okay, let's sink our teeth in this, let's do a deal here, and let's really create... Uh, and, and here's one thing we're doing. We're creating a new category because, you know, guys like Jay Abraham and Dan Kennedy and all of our mentors that have taught us marketing, they're like, if you want to be number one in the category, okay, you, and, and sometimes you can't be number one. Shopify's, their Amazon's number one. Shopify's number two, right? So create your own category. Mm-hmm. So we're creating a category for e-commerce called on-demand e-commerce. Right. That's going to leverage this idea of the source and sell marketplace, banking as a system, and the e-commerce platform. And so we create our own category called on-demand e-commerce. Now we can be number one in the category because we created the category, right? Absolutely. And then everyone will come after us. And the idea really is simple. You create a launch cart store, which is a Shopify or big commerce, WooCommerce alternative. You go to the source and sell marketplace, you click buttons, and now you get into this drop shipping game. But we're going to do it with real brands and real manufacturers and real products and set up the infrastructure globally through integration, integration technology, middleware. So now we can serve entrepreneurs all over the world. Right. And just make it really, really efficient through this dropshipping world. And then we do it in such a way that we can protect the brands from fraudsters, from people that can degrade the brand. And because of the banking of the service, we can get you paid instantly, which is the magnet that attracts the brands. When you want to, they all want to get paid instantly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's shift a little bit. We've got a few minutes left here. Let's talk about the capital raising journey, right? We're talking about how you were investing in companies and you're on that side of the investment banker. And even as an investment banker, you're still raising capital, right? Like, I think that's a lot of people that are new to the world of raising capital or investing, they don't even understand that investment bankers don't just have an entire bank behind them of a few billion dollars they can just plot money into, right? So you've been raising capital essentially your entire life. Yeah, exactly. And going back to what you're doing, like syndicating, yeah. right? So mostly what we did is we had our little book, like I had 25 brokers and we all had 10 or 15, 20 clients. So we'd raise money from our book, from our clients. But then we would always syndicate four-fifths of the deal, two-thirds of the deal, two-fifths of the deal. We never, ever did a deal where we raised all the capital. It was all about syndication. And then we syndicated with other people's deals. We'd invest in their deals. And so it was all about syndication and working together. And I think people need to think you're a startup. You want to get going. Angel Investors Network is such a great avenue because it helps you start to get in that world of a little bit of syndication. Mm -hmm. But you have to think about, you have to continue to pile on and put people together and syndicate your round. 
Yeah, and what we always say is the best time to raise capital is once you just got done raising capital. <laughs> you know, when you, not, when you don't need it, when you don't need the money, that's when you want to be doing it, right? Um, you know, you have a great vision here. You have a lot of experience. So I think a lot of people might be watching this like, oh yeah, Greg's been raising capital his whole life. He has his book of business. You know, how easy has it been raising capital? It's not easy. <laughs> it's hard raising capital. It is. You no, know, it's hard. But I'll tell you a couple, a couple golden nuggets. The first golden nugget is get in the habit of communicating with your investor prospects and your investors on a weekly basis. Some people say that's too much. I don't think so, right? I don't think so. So as you remember, when you were my first investor and you led our first round, how often did I do shareholder updates? Every week. I mean, every it, was, week. it was nauseating to a certain extent, <laughs> I'd be honest, but it was, every, it was great to hear what was going on. Every week. And then I went to t every two weeks, like a year and a half or two years down the road. So now I'm doing it every two weeks and I might even go to every month. But with that process, out of my investor pool, 40% of them invested a second time, 30% invested a third time, 15 or 20% invested a fourth time, and just maybe 10% invested a fifth time. Yeah. So I'm getting more and more money out of existing investors, not to mention a couple of referrals here and there. Absolutely. If I hadn't done that communication up and, and brought them in that journey, and, 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 and you know what? Good news, bad news, I got kicked in the teeth. I got, you know, I, I, I shared it all. And they loved it and they respected it. Absolutely. No, and it, I, I think that is the reason that you've been successful with the capital you've raised so far is because of the communication. And I don't know how many times I've heard it from investors like, oh, well, I don't even know what happened to my money. Where'd my money go? You know, and, I never hear from my company I invested in. Yeah, I never hear. And sometimes I've heard horror stories where I invested the money and six months later, I was wondering what happened. I looked around and I couldn't find them anywhere. They disappeared. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to ever have that happen. So I'd say constant communication is really important. And here's the other thing. I, I, I think, I don't know if you mentioned this, but it, it's implied, but people need to understand this. You did a lot of shareholder calls with people who hadn't even invested yet. And it was six months, maybe 12 months later, they finally wrote their first check. Right. No, in, in the way I position that is I say, hey, I know you're seriously considering investing in our company. If you're open to it, let me invite you as a guest onto my weekly shareholder calls. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you can ask questions. You can just listen in. Mm -hmm. You can't ask questions because I leave that open for the shareholders. But I want you to be a fly on the wall and listen on how I run the company, how I communicate with my team. Because what we did is we did what I call see if we see. C-suite stand-up calls. Right. And I had the executive manager report to me and then we would bash stuff back and forth and let people in and then let the shareholders, you know, ask questions. Yeah. And that did. They'd get on one or two calls and then they invest. Yeah. And again, it just goes right back to you have to build that bridge, that connection, that trust, that rapport. Yeah. Because people are not just investing in the technology, right? They're investing in the person. They're investing in the management team. They're investing in, yeah, the vision for sure. But sometimes visions change. Right. Because you know, the more you get into a world, you're like, oh, we need to solve this problem or you even pivot from one industry to another because your technology is more appropriate for something else. Right. So I think that's really important. Well, Greg, we're going to wrap it up here. Um, how can people find you and learn a little bit more about you? Launchcard.com. And the other thing I want to say is we're giving away free lifetime accounts for every veteran church or nonprofit. So as a way to give back and to really empower people with, and we have this technology where you can launch your own merch, branded t-shirts, hats and hoodies with no inventory, no cost, no money up front. So we want to do that. And uh, just launchcard.com. You can go get started for free. We have a freemium model so you can go kick the tires and test it out and check it out. It's absolutely the easiest, simplest platform you ever found to launch an e-commerce store. And then of course we have our CRM for doing all your 
uh, customer relationship management, that kind of stuff as well. So, Perfect. Awesome. Greg Ryder, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. This is the Angels Exits and Acquisitions podcast, and we'll talk to you next time.